Once you have that, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts and go to Acts 21. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study. We left off in Acts 20 last time. And uh, this is a great section we're going to be in today uh, because it's got principles about uh, family, which I think are very key for us, whether you're somebody that has kids or a spouse, or I'm sure you want that at some point. It's got some key things, fundamental things to to learn um, so that our families are as blessed as God wants them to be. Um, Let me start out by asking you guys a question. How many of you guys love, this for parents, right? How many of you guys love your kids and would never want anything bad to happen to them? Okay. That's a given, right? Now, for those of us that have some experience raising children, I have four of them, the oldest one being 17. How many of you have learned, and you guys that are, have younger kids, it's your first kid, you're probably still learning this. But how many of you learned that no matter how hard you try to protect them and ensure only good things in their lives, you cannot prevent all the bad things that are a result of living in a fallen world from happening to them, whether that's sickness or stitches or no matter how hard you try, you can't protect them from everything. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Steven's still learning this. (laughs) I have conversations daily because it's very frustrating with that first one is you're learning no matter how hard you try, you can't protect them. Now, for somebody that does not have the hope of God in their life, does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that can be a very unsettling and scary thing, right? Because in essence, you're left in this place of wanting the best for your your kids and knowing that no matter how hard you try, you can't ensure that and really having no direction, no no way, nothing to seek to ensure to try to rectify that situation. But as a believer in Jesus Christ... And knowing the truths of God's word, knowing that as hard as it is to fathom, God even loves your kids more than you and even wants greater things for them than you do. And knowing that what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do immeasurably more than you can even ask or imagine, we have God to entrust our kids to basically say god i i i know that you love them even more than me i know you want only good things for them i know i can't ensure this so lord my hope is i'm you're going to do this i i commit them to you i want them to know you more than anything else in this life and i want them to follow your will more than anything else in this life because i know that is where they will be safest and most blessed isn't that such a privilege we have as jesus right and the thing is Because of that, it kind of drives us to this place as parents to really want the Lord to be the center of our families. To want nothing more than to have a close relationship with him, not just for us, but for our kids, and to really be in his will. And what we're going to see in today's text are some principles that will help us stay in that place. So that us and our spouses and our kids can experience every bit of blessing God intends for us. Amen? So like I said, this applies to all of us at some point or another in life. So let's really listen up to this. So when we were in Acts last, we finished in Acts 20. We saw Paul 
uh, that great rich chapter where he's pouring into the, the leadership of the Ephesian church and he leaves them. It's a tearful, it's an emotional goodbye because there's this I thought that they're not going to see each other again. And today we're going to pick it up in Acts 21, seeing Paul continue on this journey back to Jerusalem where he's trying to get to with his companions, all right? So let me pray really quick and then we'll start going through verse by verse. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we just ask for your blessing on your word. Lord, these words have life. I love it when Peter tells Jesus that, when Jesus asks if he wants to leave and he's like, you have the words of life, where are we gonna go? We've experienced this in some degree or another in in our lives, Lord. The, The world has all this, so-called wisdom, but it always proves itself to be just fallacy, really. It proves itself to be wrong. It proves itself to be ignorant. Whereas your your word always proves to be right. It always proves to be good. It always proves to lead to blessedness. We've We've tasted and seen how good you are, and we understand that you have the words of life. So that's why we're here, to receive life, to know how to live truly, the way you said. And so, Lord, would you speak those words for each of us as they apply to us so that we can leave here with an even greater understanding of the life you have for us so that we can live it to the fullest and experience every bit of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says in verse 20, or this chapter 21, verse 1, and when we had parted from them, this be Luke, the author of this writing, as he's with Paul here. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course uh, to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, not Panera, Patera, didn't have that back then. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So Paul and his companions, they're continuing this journey to Jerusalem, they're sailing in the Mediterranean, they're working their way southeast kind of along the coastline of Greece. And then they continue over southeast to the area of Phoenicia, which was uh, it kind of encompassed the coastline of what would be modern-day um, Syria, Lebanon, and Israel, so that complete eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And they end up in a city called Tyre, a sleepy little village along the coast of Lebanon. A sleepy little village along... Don't get the puns. What the heck? I tried to thought that was a good one. <laughs> yes. All right. It's a good place for rest. Okay. Um, so they, they end up in Tyre. And though the Bible doesn't say how, at some point, a church got planted in this place. This wasn't a place that Paul had visited and planted a church. But uh, you see that Christianity is kind of spreading all the way around. And so there's believers there. And um, these believers in Tyre give Paul some sort of word of prophecy, um, which probably was along the lines, because basically it led them to telling him, like, don't go to Jerusalem, because they were on their way to Jerusalem, and they're saying, don't go. And if you guys have been tracking with us, back in Acts 20, uh, verses 22 and 23, it says that all the places Paul was going, 
the believers were kind of giving him this consistent word that there were going to be trials facing him in Jerusalem. So they were shown, they were given some sort of prophetic word here in Tyre along that lines. There's going to be trials. Don't go, whatever you do. Now, what I would say is just because the Holy Spirit was showing these believers that there was going to be some sort of hardship in Jerusalem that Paul would be facing, it would be wrong for them to automatically assume that God was telling them to tell him not to go. And and there's some disagreement among commentators regarding this. As some would say that, yes, God was trying to prevent Paul from going to Jerusalem to protect him, and that Paul's being disobedient by continuing to go to Jerusalem. Because as we see through Paul's life, different parts in Scripture, Galatians 1, um, verse 16 is one of these, says that his specific ministry for the Lord that God called him to was to preach to who? Gentiles, right? Doesn't mean he couldn't preach to anyone else, but that was his main focus, or supposed to be his main focus. But we also see that Paul had a burden for his own people, the Jewish people, right? So anytime he comes in this city, who did he preach to first? The Jews. He tried to preach, find a synagogue, preach to the Jews. And if they wouldn't listen, he'd move on to the Gentiles. So some think that this is why he was so insistent on going back. Now, the other side of the coin or other commentators think that, in essence, what um, God's doing by warning Paul that there's going to be hardships is just giving him a heads up so that he's better able to endure when he faces those trials how many of you guys if you know like you're better prepared to face something hard if you know ahead of time that it's coming at you i appreciate that for one i i I like knowing that something is going to be difficult so that i can in a sense prep myself to be ready for it and so some think that's what he's doing here and and really i don't think you can really be in my opinion you can't be dogmatic about one or the other because i don't think enough information is given and we see previous previous biblical examples of both those scenarios being God-ordained things. We see back in Acts 16.6, 16, 16, the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from going into Asia for some reason. It doesn't say why. It just says the Holy Spirit somehow literally stopped him from going into Asia to preach the gospel. At that point, later on, he allows him to go, and there's a bunch of fruit. But at that point, we see God stopping him from going somewhere, maybe because of danger. don't know for sure. And then we also see God knowingly sending Paul into somewhere where he was going to face trials. Not just for the sake of facing something hard, but because there was great work he was going to go in there. If you guys remember in Acts 16, he's given a vision by God to uh, by like a Macedonian person to come over to Macedonia. And he ends up in Philippi. And what happens there? He's persecuted. He's thrown in jail with Silas. And they're persecuted, but what happens as a result of that persecution is they're able to preach to that jailer, and the jailer gets saved and his family gets saved, right? So we see those both instances. We see basically God preventing him from going into hard things or preventing him from doing things, and then we also see God prepping him for hard things, okay? And I've seen both those things in my life as well. How many of you guys have seen God do those things for you? I've seen God, uh, I remember several instances in my life where he's shut doors of things that would have been mistakes. I think of when I first moved up here into the Oregon coast in uh, 2007, I was working for ODOT, transferred up here. It was totally with the intent of not living in the rainiest place in the world forever, um, but more of a career stepping thing to get some experience and then transfer back to somewhere warm and sunny. And so 
uh, when I was working up here, there was a lot of looking at job openings in other places in the state. And a couple of those applying for them, even at the invitation of managers that wanted me to come work for them. That I, so I applied for these jobs I was totally qualified for. There was no rhyme or reason why I shouldn't have got them, yet I didn't get them. And at the time, it was a big disappointment. But I look back now, and God had other plans. So in my mind, at least from my perception, it was God shutting the door on those things because God had other things for me that were better. Amen? I've also seen instances where God has prepared me for hard things so that I would be better able to endure them. The most recent example with our uh, our youngest, Ezekiel, if you guys have been going here for a while, you've been part of my church family, you know that um, when he was born, he was premature and, uh, by about a month. And my wife had uh, high blood pressure. They were afraid of preeclampsia. It was like the most stressful out of all our kids. And a couple months prior to his birth, I had woken up in the middle of the night, and this isn't something that happens to me all the time, but I just had this strong sense. God told me that we were supposed to name him Ezekiel. And I remember waking up and just uh, telling my wife, yeah, I think we're supposed to call him Ezekiel. It wasn't even a name that was on the horizon for us. And we looked up what that meant and meant God strengthens, which made, meant nothing to us at the time. But as I'm going rushing home to get my wife's stuff because they had to check her in the hospital and they were saying all this bad stuff that could happen with him being born early and i'm freaking out like he reminded me i told you to call him ezekiel because i'm going to strengthen him and though though that rest of that week was definitely traumatic i had this peace because god had given me this warning that hey i'm with you it's going to be all right you can trust me ahead of time so i'd be better able to persevere and endure through that trial amen so i've seen both those happen god does that both those things so either one of those could be right here it goes on it says when our days were ended we departed and went on our journey and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach we prayed and said farewell to one another and then we went on board the ship and they returned home so paul and his companions they're still resolved to go to Jerusalem despite any warnings they're getting. And as with the elders in Ephesus, there's a real emotional, you get the sense it's a really emotional, it's a heartfelt goodbye, even though they've only known these guys for a week. And it made me think of how there is a unique relationship we have as believers that knit us together, even though like, like, like maybe you just met somebody or you haven't known them nearly as long. They're not your immediate family, but you feel close to them. For some reason, because you guys share the one most important thing is that you are followers of Jesus and you are children of God. Amen. I can think of when I've gone to different places in the world, like on mission trips and you meet people, other believers like Russia, Colombia, like totally different cultures, don't know them at all. But I spend a week with them and I just love them and and just have this great compassion to them where I still pray for them years later every day and in 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 can converse with them through social media or whatever, just wanted to know how they're doing because they were part of the family of God. It's a unique and special relationship we all have. And that's what you kind of see here. And there's a couple things I want to note here in these, these verses I think are important for us to take away. The first being that, and you guys can write this down if you're note takers, unity didn't have to equal uniformity with the believers here. Unity did not have to equal uniformity. Paul, 
who had a difference of opinion with these believers on whether he should go to Jerusalem or not, because what are they telling him? Don't go. And he's set on going. All right. They didn't want him to go. He wanted to go. Paul heard their concerns, but didn't change his mind. And despite that difference of opinion, best we can tell from here, despite them having a difference of opinion on the specific will of the Lord, if you will, or the, the way the ministry God wanted for Paul, despite that difference of opinion, there doesn't appear to be any division as they're able to send Paul and pray him off and his companions on good terms. Best we can tell, all right? Which is a great example for us to learn from and implement in our own lives with other believers that may have difference of opinions on how they or we are supposed to be serving the Lord. All right? How many of you guys have experienced that? And I'm not talking about black and white issues, all right? There's black and white things in the Bible that, that you know, we divide in if somebody's saying they're talking about a different Jesus, talking about a different God. But there's a whole lot of the Bible where there's principles, but they're not descriptive in nature in how to carry out those principles, which allows different means and methods depending on people, philosophy, and ministry. There's room for that. As I've told you guys before, just because something's different doesn't mean it's bad. And with that, we're, we can maintain a sense of unity just like we see with these guys, all right? And we don't have to divide, which is something that I see in the church a lot today that I think is a big mistake. Dividing over things that aren't defined specifically in the Bible just because people are different and God's got a different calling on their life or, or telling them to do something a little differently. Again, these are subjective things where it's like, they worship a little differently than we do. Are they wrong? No, they're right. We're right. They're both good because they're both worshiping. We're all worshiping in spirit and truth, right? Or they do missions a little differently than we do because it's not a prescriptive thing. We're just to go into all ends of the earth and preach the gospel. How that looks can look different. So it's wrong to kind of look and say, well, they're not doing it the way I would do it. So they're wrong and I'm right. And that's not what's going on here. There's unity. And we've experienced... The same thing with people approaching us as a leadership in the church, feeling like God was calling them to do something. And for some reason or another, we don't see it exactly the same. Maybe we don't feel like God's telling us like, yeah, you're supposed to send these guys out and plant a church or support them. Or there's somebody that has a heart for a certain ministry in the community. And we're like, yeah, that's that's good. It's not bad. But we don't necessarily feel there's a need for us to create a formal ministry for that. All right, those are just some of the examples I can think of. But they're trying to achieve the same goal we're trying to achieve in being followers of Jesus and preaching the gospel, all right? So there's nothing a matter. It's just a different means or methods that they're trying to accomplish by. And we've had things work out similarly to what we see here with Paul and these believers in Tyre, where at the end of the day, they feel still they got to be obedient to what God's telling them to do. And even though we don't see eye and eye, we see what, what they're wanting to do is good. And we can in a sense, pray them off and say, well, best of luck to you. Go do what God's telling you. That's a good thing you're doing, all right? And not have division. Now, I've also seen this go horribly wrong or in an undesirable direction where um, people have kind of come to us and told us, like, this is what God wants me to do. And if you don't see it exactly the same way as I do, you're not hearing from God. You're wrong, I'm right, and you either get on board and send me or support me or do what I'm saying, 
or you're of the enemy and you're against me and I don't want anything to do with you. And that is the saddest thing that happens because what has happened in that scenario is they've let the enemy kind of get in there and create this division, believing this lie that somehow we're against them when that's not it at all. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants us divided because he knows we're weaker. Divided house won't stand, as the Bible says. And we're susceptible to his lies and his attacks. And so that's something we've got to be careful not to, to, to let ourselves fall into. And you see that division in the church today. I remember when early on in coming here, there was a season where my wife and I were feeling called in the mission field and we had taken a couple trips. We have some friends that run an orphanage and a church. Many of you guys have been down on mission trips to Columbia with us. And I think it was the second time we went down. And um, the first time I went down, I was wondering if the Lord was calling our family to move down there and help them. And the second time when my wife went, she kind of came back and had that same sense. And so for me, it was like, oh, confirmation. Like, this is it. Like, the Lord's going to call us to move down and, and serve down here. And I remember coming home and, and telling my pastor our old pastor here, Jason, and, and just being so excited, you know, like, this is what the Lord has for us. And his response was less than desirable. His response was, I don't really see that for you guys. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You sell everything you have and go move and serve orphans. I'm like, what do you mean you don't see that? And he's like, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm, that's good that you want to do that. I just see something different for your guys' life. And for me, there's like, like, like my flesh was resistant against that. But I'm thinking of verses like Hebrews 13, 17 that says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. They, their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Like I'm thinking of these things and I'm thinking like, this is a small thing for you, Lord, for my pastor to see the same thing that you're calling us to do, if that's really from you. So that became a fleece, if you will, like in Gideon. It became that thing I wanted confirmation. Lord, if this is of you, then help my pastor be of one mind with me. Help him see that. And years went by and that never changed. And as you see now, the Lord had completely different plans that he had to get me on board with. There are a lot of other things God did through that ministry, through like, me and my wife taking teams down there and taking our family down there. Other things, I just perceived it wrong, what it was that God was calling us to do. But all that to say is, I knew, like, hey, man, this is the guy that I know is after God's heart. He's my shepherd. It's like, I want to be of one mind with him. I know he cares about me and my well-being. And he had it right and I had it wrong. And I'm glad I didn't make that mistake. I mean, it wouldn't have been a bad thing if I went down there. But having said that, God had something better he was preparing us for that he knew we'd be more, more, we'd be more blessed in. Amen? So we want to, again, you know, again, there's room for differences and still to be of one mind and still be unified. Amen? We don't want to lose that unity. All right, the second thing I want you to see here in verse 5 is it says that they took their wives and children with them to see Paul off and pray. Or they, note note takers, write this down. They involved their family in ministry, okay? They involved their family in ministry. I want to encourage you guys in something, okay? Because there's a warning of this in the Bible, and we can get into that in a second. We never want to make the mistake of using our family as an excuse 
to disobey God. All right? The Israelites were guilty of this. All right? God told them to go into the promised land. One of their excuses for not going into the promised land was, well, our kids won't be safe. All right? And God, in response to that, said in Deuteronomy 2, 39 through 40, he says, I will give the land to your little ones, your innocent children. You were afraid they would be captured, but they will be the ones who occupy it. As for you, turn around now and go back through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. God told them to go, said they'd be blessed, said, I'll protect you. I've given you the land. You don't have to worry about all these other inhabitants, these giants and stuff. They're defeated. Just go take it. And they're, they were afraid. They were fearful instead of being faithful. Like fear is the absent of faith. If you don't understand that already, they were afraid. That was, and it says they were afraid. That was the real reason. They did not, in their minds, this doesn't make sense. We're safer outside the land. We're going to do what we want. We're not going to do what you say, God. And then they came up with a bunch of excuses why that made sense. And one of those was, well, it doesn't make sense to take our kids in there. We're, we're putting them at risk when the real reason was that lack of faith in God and his promises. And the reality was, instead of protecting their kids, what did their disobedience result in? It resulted in 40 years of trials. Not only for them, but a bunch of hardships they subjected their kids to inadvertently too for that disobedience. They're trying to protect their kids, but they made their kids' lives harder by doing that. And the very thing they thought they were protecting their kids from, God used to bring blessing in their children's lives just as soon as they were out of the picture. In essence, when they stopped being a hindrance to their kids walking in the Lord's ways, God was able to bring their kids into the promised land and bless them. And that's a hard thing to hear, man. Isn't that a hard thing to think that we could somehow be a hindrance to our kids experiencing the blessing God intends for them in their lives. That's why it's something we really need to be careful because, and here's the thing, when we say things, all right, I can't do this for the Lord because of my wife or my kids, or I can't go to this church event in the evening because my kids can't be out that late. I can't go to church on Sundays because my kid has sports. I'm, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to attend this this church thing because, you know, we need family time. We need to be at home. You might be being guilty of this. I say might there because obviously there are things that we can't do. There's different seasons in our lives, depending on how old our kids are, where it prevents us from doing certain things for God and stuff. And that's not wrong. That's not what I'm getting at here. But if you're anything like me, I can be like the Israelites and I can have this tendency to just not want to do something and then come up with a bunch of excuses to justify why I'm not doing that something and my kids and my wife can be one of those reasons that I've seen in my own life. I'm speaking from experience in this in that I've been married for 22 years. I have four boys that I've raised all the way from three to 17. And so my wife and I have made plenty of mistakes ourselves in doing this very thing and not being in the will of the Lord, not doing the things we know that are beneficial for us as a family, not doing it in the name of something like our kids or whatnot, when really that was just an excuse for not doing something we didn't want to do. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys, even this morning, 
in the chaos it was to try to get out of your house with your kids, sat there and said, you know what, we, should, we just shouldn't go. We shouldn't go. We should just stay home. You can be honest. It's all right. I got up at five this morning. I'm like, I don't want to go. I feel tired. All right. But I'm telling you right now, if you made that decision to be here, you made the right decision. Because it's not always about what we feel. It's about what we know is good for us and our families. All right. We got to make sure that we're not just using our family as an excuse to disobey God. Because even if we think, like I said, even if our feeling is that those choices are going to be somehow beneficial to them, inevitably, they're going to bring negative consequences, not into just our lives, but consequences that are going to affect our wives, our husbands, and our children as well. When what God desires is to not only bless us through our obedience to him, but to bless our family as well. So the better option is to follow the believer's example here and make sure that we're taking our family along with us for the ride of following Jesus. Amen? So that we can all experience the abundant life, the promised land. That's what it's a picture of, the, the life you have in Christ. So we can all experience that together. And as somebody that didn't grow up as a Christian, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church, but yet I've had the privilege of being saved since I had to raise my own family. And they have, I have raised them in the church. I can tell you the best, most beneficial family time we've had is being in the midst of God's people, seeking Jesus, studying his word, having fellowship with other believers them pouring into my kids, being encouraged by just together, growing together. Those are the best things because the things we learn in here are way more valuable than anything you're going to learn out there because the things in here are of eternal nature. And they're all preparation to help you view the things out there in the right perspective. Amen? This ain't no country club we're attending. This is a training ground for the battle that we face every day out in life that our kids are subjected to, that our spouses are subjected to. And we need to be trained up. All right? And I'm willing to bet, you know, here's the thing. I'm willing to bet at the end of this experience for these these kids and their wives, they're all praying for Paul and they're seeing him off and it's just this emotional thing. I'm willing to bet not one of them went home going like, oh, I wish I was at home playing video games or I wish I skipped that whole thing. I'm sure they were all blessed as well being a part of that. And I've seen that same thing in my life over and over again. I have never ever mistaken or I've never ever like said, we're going to go do this thing with God's family. We're going to go to church or we're going to serve here. I've never ever regretted it once I went through and did it. All right. It's always the battle leading up to it. And that's because of my flesh. It's also because of the enemy because he doesn't want you to be blessed by God. But in hindsight, it's not like I've ever gotten to church going like, oh, wasted my day there today. Never. And all the benefit I've seen in my family for just being, you know, disciplined in that and consistent with that, I wouldn't take any of that back. Amen? You will never regret making Jesus the priority of your family. Okay? It goes on in verse 7. It says, and when we had finished the voyage from Tyre... We arrived at 
Ptolemy, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. So Paul and his companions are continuing south down the Mediterranean coast of Phoenicia. And they're continuing to find Christians in every city they go to, which is just the book of Acts is a great historical uh, book that tells us like how quickly Christianity spread through the world. It goes on in verse 8, and it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So Paul and his companions, they continue going south down to Caesarea. Caesarea, if you ever go to Israel on one of our trips with us, you'll get to go there. It's on the Mediterranean coast in Israel. And uh, they end up at a brother's house named Philip. Now, Philip should sound familiar to you guys, right? If you've read through the book of Acts, if you've been tracking with us, we saw him first. In Acts 6 is a dedicated servant of the Lord. He was one of the original seven deacons chosen in the church. Then we see him next is a dynamic preacher of the word in Samaria. In Acts 8, basically there's persecution after Stephen gets martyred, one of the other first deacons. And the church spreads out. He goes to Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. Lots of people are getting saved. At some point he earned the nickname Philip the Evangelist because of that. And then we last saw him in Acts 8 leading an Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord, right? The Lord pulls him out into the middle of the desert. He runs into this Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading the word of God. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he leads him to Christ, right? And now we see him settle down and having become a devoted father of four daughters who he must have raised to know the Lord. It says, verse 9, that they were unmarried, or some of your translations probably say virgins, so that they valued purity like God's word teaches. And then they were given by God the spiritual gift to prophesy, which you can't have without the Holy Spirit, which you don't have unless you're saved. So there are four godly daughters that love the Lord. And the first thing I want you to note that these events of Philip's life shows us is that, number one, Philip was flexible. Okay, Philip was flexible. We see God first call him to serve the practical needs of the church as a deacon. Then we see the Lord send him out to preach the gospel, which he's more than willing to do, whether it's for a lot of people like he did in Samaria or for the one person in Ethiopia. It didn't matter. He was faithful to do it. And then we see him more than 20 years later investing in his family. And so too with us. Flexibility is what will, number one, allow you to know God's will in your life, okay? Instead of kind of being rigid and obstinate, fighting against it, it'll allow you to know it. Number two, it'll allow you to be used by God in the greatest way possible. You see all the different ways Philip was used when you're flexible. And then number three... It'll allow you to experience the most amount of blessing through all the different things God will have you do for him. Okay? When you're flexible. It's best to think of ourselves as like a a, a lump of clay. There's actually Bible verses that back that up. But the more flexible, the more moldable you are, instead of being rigid, the easier it's going to be for our master potter, God, to make you into what he wants you to be so he can use you to the fullest. If he want to make you into a big old bowl so you can be filled. You like that? <laughs> or a cup so you're overflowing. 
it's best to let him do that, okay? Wherever, with Philip, wherever the Lord led him, whatever the Lord wanted him to do, Philip was willing and obedient to follow. And he was used in multiple different ways as a result, but all of them equally great in God's eyes, whether it's being a servant, an evangelist, or a faithful dad. And this leads to the second attribute of Philip I want you to know is that he was faithful. You don't see him when he's being a faithful servant, just serving the practical needs of the church, looking forward, going like, oh, I wish I was an evangelist. You don't see him focused on the past as he's sitting there raising his daughters, just faithfully being a family man, raising them for the Lord, looking back and like, oh, I wish I was back in those days of serving the church or... Or, or, or out, like witnessing to all the people getting saved. You don't see him. He's always just appears to be focused on the present. And that leads to God being able to accomplish the work he wanted to do in Philip so that, and here's the thing I want you to really take away from this, so he was prepped for whatever was next. All right? Him faithfully serving the church is what prepared him to be an evangelist. You want to know Why? Because you can't faithfully serve the church without serving people. And the more you serve people, the more God is able to develop your people skills so you can represent him better. And that allows you to preach the gospel better in a way that's understandable so people can understand. And so the, and then that faithful service to the Lord, just serving the church's needs, and that faithful preaching of the gospel to people is ultimately what prepared him to be a good father. That could raise godly daughters. And if he hadn't been faithful in any of those things, he could have slowed that progress down or inhibited what God wanted to do in him, but he didn't. And I point that out because we can make the mistake of sometimes thinking in order to be a good parent, I got to first and foremost focus on my family. And I would tell you that that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says in all circumstances... In any situation that you're to first and foremost, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God basically means seek Jesus first. Seek him first in his righteousness, righteousness, right living, which is found in his word. So seek God in his will for you first. And some of the other things in your life will be taken care of. It's not what it says, right? Makes it really simple. We complicate it. But God says, no, if you just seek me first and you seek my will, you seek to listen to what I'm telling you to do, I'll take care of everything else. You want a blessed marriage? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You want great kids? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what God says to do. Now, this ties into the principle we discussed earlier of bringing your family with you in serving Jesus is far too often. I think we make this mistake of thinking it's an either or when it's supposed to be both. Basically, I can't do this thing or I, I, I need to draw back from this thing because I need to be more focused on my family. And again, I'm saying this understanding that there are those seasons where you have to practically devote more time to your family. Or you can't do certain things because of your family. I think of a season when I was serving, and my wife and I were serving the middle school group, and we had a bunch of kids, and the kids couldn't be a part of it, and so we had to step out. 
We tried to, but we couldn't find reliable babysitters every week for him. So it just wasn't the will of the Lord. We had to step out of that season. We couldn't do it at that time. Stuff like that happens. We worked that out with the Lord. But where are there are those seasons. What's most important is we make sure that we're doing what God tells us to do. Because again, my gut reaction can be like, oh yeah, this makes sense to me. I'm going to pull out or I'm not going to do this because... You know, I just, I, 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 I need to be home or I need to do this. And I never ask God. I never let him guide me into what he really wants to do. And the thing is, when I've made that mistake of stepping back from doing the things God wants me to do mistakenly by my wrong assumption, uh, assumption then what I've done is I've stepped back from being close to God. And here's something I've learned that when I'm distant from God, it never has helped me be a good husband or never has helped me be a good father. All right? Those go hand in hand. It's only through Christ that I'm able to do anything of value for my family. And it's another reason why I want to be right where he wants me. So instead of quickly assuming that I'm to stop doing something for the Lord and the risk the chance of me not being faithful in something that God has told me to do, then what I need to do is seek him instead, right? Because I want to ensure that I experience that betterment he has for me and for my family through being faithful where he wants me to do. So I just seek him and, and be faithful where he wants me, just like Philip was, and I give him a chance to clarify if changes need to be made. One of which might be, I just need to better involve my family. I need to bring them along with me and what the Lord's doing and not leave them behind. Blesses me so much when I see, like, this morning, our deacons and our elders just bringing all their kids. Jody's up here worshiping. Will's out there with the kids hanging out. Beth's up here worshiping. Ben's out there with all the kids. I love it. Because they're getting to be a part of everything God is doing through their parents. And they get to practically be used by God, too. And they get to see how real Jesus is. That's what we want our kids to see. It's not about religion. We want them to experience how awesome God is. And what better way to show them than allowing them to be a part of everything he's doing, right? I'll tell you right now, if you seek first the kingdom of your family or anything else in this world, that blessing you desire for them, you're not going to get it. But if you seek first the kingdom of God, you're always going to get it. And that's why it needs to be the priority just like it was for Philip, all right? All right, amen. So as the worship team comes up, here's the thing. As I was reading this, super convicted. This is one of those things where it's constantly changing in my life. I have kids that are growing up. There's different seasons. There's different ministry that I'm involved in. So it's something that the Lord's just always telling me, man, you got to make sure your priorities are right, that you're right where I want you, doing what I want, and that you're not doing it alone, that your wife and your family are there. Because something I've learned If there's strife between me and my wife, our focus is not on the Lord. Because that's not his will. And I need to check myself and see where my focus is, where my priorities are. If there's strife between me and my kids, if they're driving me crazy, that's not of the Lord. They're meant to be a blessing of the Lord. My wife's meant to be a blessing. And so again, I need to check that I'm right, my priorities are right, that we're where the Lord wants us as a family together. And that's not just for me, that's for all of us, right? This is something we constantly have to check in our lives. If you have a family, if you have a spouse, if you have kids, even if you're single, you got to make sure that you're where the Lord wants you, doing what he wants. 
And so this is an opportunity for all of us to right now just ask God, am I where you want me? Am I doing what you want? Maybe you're somebody that's struggling in your marriage and maybe this is why. Maybe you're struggling with your kids or your kids are struggling at home and this is why. And the Lord right now just wants to reveal that and go like, yeah, you just need to come home. You need to come back to me. I need to be the priority again. I need to be the center of everything. And if you seek me first and what I have for you, everything else is just going to fall into place, but you got to seek me first. And that's the answer. I mean, it's not very profound and is profound in that it's a hard thing to do, but it's always the answer. You just come back to Jesus. You just return to your first love. You just go back to those things you did at first where you experience that closeness and that intimacy and that blessing. And we always have the opportunity to do that. There's nothing ever that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that can get in between you unless you create space. So close the gap if that's there right now. Amen. We'll have our prayer team around the room. If you want prayer to bear that whatever burden you're facing. If you need prayer just for God to show you, you know there's something not right. You don't know exactly what it is, but come up and get prayer. We'd love to pray for you. If you're somebody that hasn't placed your faith in Jesus Christ in your life, then you haven't even found the path you're supposed to be on. You haven't really even truly experienced life yet. That's why you have that, that urge in you that you feel you can never satisfy, that, that thirst, if you will. You're always looking, you're always seeking, nothing ever fulfills you like you think it will. It's because the only thing you need is Jesus. He made you and loves you and died on a cross so your sins could be paid for and you could be made right with God so you could know him and you could know the perfect plan he has for you and you could experience the greatness that he he created you for and make you into that special creation that he intends for you to be. But you can't experience those things without him. And today can be the day that you start experiencing them through simply acknowledging that you're not perfect. You are guilty of disobeying God and his word and you need his forgiveness and that you want to receive Jesus in your life so you can receive that forgiveness. You can do that in this place today. And if you want to, come up and get prayer. We'll lead you in that prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much. I thank you for, I, I think of what my life was without you for the first 20 years. I think even as good as my my grandparents were that raised me, my mom, my family, that there was so much missing because you weren't there. And that when you came into my life, everything fell into place. All these patterns of destruction just fell by the wayside. They went away when I made you the focus and your word the focus of what I was following in life. And Lord, we want that for not just us. We want that for our spouse. We want that for our kids. We want them not to have to learn those same hard mistakes that many of us have had to learn. We know we've been charged as men to be the ones leading them to you. So help us do that. So easy to get off track. It's so easy to even just be deceived by our flesh or the enemy and and think we're doing something that's good, but really it's not what you want. It's not the best thing. We're thankful we have you to guide us into what those, what your will is. You're not trying to hide it from us. We just need to listen and obey. And so, Lord, I pray we do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.